Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. There's only one place to start, obviously, and I have to start by giving credit where credit is due. I have to start by congratulating the Kansas City Jayhawks. And here to present the trophy is the head of the basketball committee, Tom Burnett, to, to coach self and the Kansas City Jayhawks. The University of Kansas Jayhawks. What an amazing moment. You've got one of the weirdest, most intense championship games ever. Dudes puking on the floor, rolling their ankles on alleged loose floorboards, and more, and then you have Mark Emmert going Mark Emmert and brain dead at the worst possible time. Kansas City Jayhawks. The University of Kansas Jayhawks. Dude, how many times have you done this? That was not Matt in Cleveland who got Global up Army. there to present the trophy on Alvin. Global Army? That was not him. That was not Matt in Cleveland. That was the actual head of the NCAA. If there's one person on the planet who should know that they are not the Kansas City Jayhawks, it's the guy who runs the NCAA. But, of course, Mark Emmert went Mark Emmert when it mattered most. Nice composure, Mark. Very smooth. Kansas City Jayhawks. University of Kansas Jayhawks. I mean, seriously, like a... Val Kilmer. Global Kansas City Jayhawks. Val Kilmer. Christie Alley. Kansas City Jayhawks. I mean, you may as well add that to Matt's montage. A (laughs) perfect... Sorry to keep stepping on you, Matthew. Christie Alley. Kansas City Jayhawks. Kansas City Jayhawks. It was the perfectly weird ending to a truly weird game, and it deserved an ending like that. Notice I didn't say best game because it wasn't that. It was really weird, and for a while it was really dumb. In the first half, and I did tweet this, Kansas played some of the worst basketball I have ever seen. Certainly from them and almost anybody else. And it wasn't just about missing shots. It was about playing dumb. Like they were making some really dumb decisions on the floor. So they get out to a 7-0 lead. Then they get blasted by 22 the rest of the first half. So for all that talk about Carolina not having time to bounce back physically or emotionally after that huge, huge win over Duke, the heels came out and they were tougher and they were stronger and they were smarter. Armando Baycott, bad wheel and all, was a force. Man, this big dude is relentless. Relentless. Brady Manick looked like he got knocked the hell out in the first half. Hey, listen, I'm no doctor, and I never, ever, ever want to play one from 1,000 miles away, but you can't tell me that guy wasn't concussed. I mean, he had the look of a guy who was concussed. And, And by the way, speaking of looks, did Hubert Davis, who I absolutely love, Love this guy. Could not love this guy any more than I do, especially after last night. Did he even look over at his guy? I mean, did he even look over at his guy? Did he look over at any of his guys? I'm not saying he doesn't care. But, man, they were locked in. Maybe he just knew they weren't coming out of the game. Like, this dude, to me, was out. Out. Yet, he doesn't come out. He keeps playing. And somehow, he starts to drain big shots. Like, these guys are tough as hell. Then you have Hubert Davis giving what I'm going to say is the single best in-game interview you will ever see. 
to assess what you've seen. Game in there. We're competing out there. It's live action, Tracy. It's live action out there. I thought we were nervous at the beginning, then we started to settle in. We got better defensively. Now we're attacking the basket. We're ready to go. Are you okay with how Baycott is right now? He's doing terrific. I'm so proud of him. I told you, 52%. Him on the floor. It's good news for Carolina basketball. This dude. I'm telling you, this dude. This is why we hyped him so hard when he got that job. Most coaches want no part of those interviews. Not Hubert. He didn't even wait for Tracy Wolfson to finish her first question before this guy was busting out. And it was awesome. It's live action, Tracy. It's live action out there. It's live action, Tracy. It's live action out there. How do you not get hyped hearing that? Especially if you're a young college athlete. I'm a middle-aged man sitting in my living room with no dog in this fight, and I was hyped. I mean, that was awesome. Just awesome. It's live action, Tracy. It's live action out it's there. It's live action, Tracy. It's live action out there. It's one it's of the best action, things ever. Tracy. And he's not wrong. It was live action, Tracy. It was live action out there. And Carolina was taking that live action right to KU. And at that moment, the Kansas City Jayhawks City wanted no part Jayhawks. of that. At that moment, the Kansas City Jayhawks were not about that action, man. Not only did it look like Kansas City was not going to win, it looked like they were going to get embarrassed. It looked like they were going to get blown the hell out and run out of that gym on the biggest stage of them all. Do that and you never live it down. Lose that game to an eight seed with a short bench and a bunch of injured guys, and you are never, ever going to hear the end of it. Hell, I'll give you an example. The big head, James Kelly, was blowing me up on my phone at halftime saying, hey, boss, do, do I even need to watch the second half? He literally said that to me. Hey, boss, do I need to watch the second half? And I'm like, you know what, man? That one day... Work week. No, check that. That one segment work week can really beat you down, big head. I get that. But yes, you do need to watch the second half, even if there really is no reason to do so. And frankly, at halftime, I thought there was no reason to do so. It seemed like there was no reason to do that. It took everything I had at halftime not to reach for my phone and thumb out game over on Twitter. I mean, I came this close to doing that. But somehow, some way, it wasn't over. Somehow, some way, the Kansas City Jayhawks, Kansas City Jayhawks got back into it. They didn't just get back into it. They won the damn thing. And they did it by going on a 30-10 run in the second half. From being on the verge of getting blown out to being on the verge of running away from it. They went from playing the dumbest half I've ever seen Kansas play in the title game, no less, to just flipping the switch and coming out of the locker room with a completely different mindset and actually is a completely different team. They were to Carolina in the second half what Carolina was to them in the first half. That and the fact that everything seemed to fall apart for Carolina. The physical punishment, the pain of the game, it just became too much. And believe me, they didn't give in. They just kind of broke down. Caleb Love had a rolled ankle. Puff Johnson went from having the game of his life to puking on the floor, literally on all fours. And we've got an injury. Puff Johnson now down on both knees in the left-hand corner. And Puff 
not sure what happened to him. I, I don't know. I was going to say coming up the floor, he looked tired. Uh, you know, he's playing extended minutes that he's not used to playing. When Puff Johnson is still down on hands and knees, trying to find a way to get up and now gets to his feet. The mop guys are out to clean up where he went down. And Puff the magic puker. That was crazy. Crazy. You know, but much like that one guy that everybody has in their group, when you go hard and you get out too quickly and you have too much to drink and then you puke, most of us call it a night. But there's always that one guy in the group who's like, no, nah, I'm good. Let's go. LFG, let's go. I'm good. Got it out. Then you got Armando Baycott. I mean, this guy to me is just, he is a beast. Rolled his ankle again, but on the biggest possession of the game, unfortunately. Short clock now. Baycott with four. He slips on the floor and he's hurt. He is hurt. He slipped and he is still down. Up ahead. He is hurting. They're not attacking. He's hobbling on one leg down the floor. Hated to see that. Just because the guy's such a warrior. It not, not only did he roll his ankle at the worst possible time and turn the ball over at the worst possible time, then you have all of these internet detectives trying to tell you that it was a loose floorboard that took him out. But even then, the game was not over. The game still was not over. Carolina still had a look thanks to this play. Harris, I said. It was out of bounds. I think. I don't know what happened. Davis making an appeal. Like they might review it. It's a nice call, nice set. And oh, they did. Yeah, they did. They got it. Go out of bounds. That yeah. left foot twice. Wow, what now a mistake you, that is. Sure, now you got a good shot. It's two for me. Yeah, that is two for him. I could do two hours on that alone, honestly. Like in a game full of really weird moments, that was the weirdest of all. A guy catches the inbound pass, then runs out of bounds on his own. Just when KU had the chance to ice that game. They actually let Carolina back in. They give them another look. And just so we're clear, he didn't step on the line once. He stepped on it twice. He was sprinting towards joining Chris Webber among the all-time championship game blunders. And even though it did not ultimately cost KU the game, it cost a hell of a lot of people a hell of a lot of money. Like, there's a second game going on, right, during the actual game. And in that second game, the number four was really freaking important. Four and a half to some of you, but four to a lot of you. Four. Because you most likely either had Kansas minus four or Carolina plus four. And KU had the ball up three with a chance to get to four or five, and they never got that look because... Dude just ran out of bounds at the weirdest, most inexplicable time. Never a good time to do that, but especially there. So now you've got this gigantic elephant in the room, and nobody's saying anything. Nobody's mentioning it at all. Like, where was Al Michaels when you needed him? I mean, I love my CBS brethren. Absolutely love my CBS fam. But there's no way the rascal lets that moment go by without at least an acknowledgement. I mean, it was so weird to have that play in that moment, and nobody said a thing. When you know there were millions of people watching at home either going, no, or people like Rit just hyped, hyped. 
that wasn't just huge for the second game, but getting back to the main thing, that was enormous for the first game because Carolina had one more look to send it into OT and then another calamity struck. Puff Johnson will inbound the sophomore, working against Jalen Wilson, who will back off the inbound just a bit. Puff looking. Puff finds Love. Love will put it on the deck with three seconds, with two, three at the top of the key. It is no good! It falls just short! And the last number one seed is the nation's number one team, Kansas, for the fourth time in school history. Men's basketball national champions. Before I get into what that play was supposed to be and designed to do, can I reference the fact that they had a couple of more offensive boards on that possession? I have never seen a team, like literally never seen a team, go to the offensive glass the way Carolina does. Nor could I ever have imagined that Kansas would win a championship game while allowing like 20 offensive boards. But as far as the play itself, it was supposed to go to Manic, but he somehow tripped or was tripped coming around that screen. Perfect play design. And he would have had a damn good look from three if he had been able to stay on his feet. But he couldn't, so Carolina did not get a good look. Credit to Kansas. One hell of a comeback. A second half for the ages. And one of the weirdest, wackiest championship games ever. So one more time. Credit to them. And credit to one Matthias Emmert. Kansas City Jayhawks. Kansas City Jayhawks? Like, I know that was kind of awkward for you, Matthias, to be up there with Kansas City, given how you and your crew have been investigating them for so long. But you got to do better than that. I mean, you can't spit out Kansas City Jayhawks. Kansas City Jayhawks. Like, congrats to the R Kansas Jayhawks. Kansas City Jayhawks. Oh, I mean the Kansas Blue Jays. Kansas City. Oh, I mean the Jayhawks. FC Kansas City. Kansas City. The, the, the Kansas State Darren Sproles. Kansas City Jayhawks. And now I've got a message from Discover about rewards. If you're a loyal credit card customer, you should be rewarded for your loyalty, preferably with something that's useful. You know, like cashback match. Discover matches all the cash back that you've earned at the end of your first year. How cool is that? Finally, rewards that make sense. Discover. Exceptionally common sense. Learn more at discover.com slash match. Limitations do apply. And now he's back. Andrew, what's going on? How are you? Jim Rome here. I'm here, brother. Hey, thank My you man, that intro, there he is. Man. There he is. Listen, I, I started to say, like, never, it's been a couple... never gets old hearing that Super Bowl chant title. Yeah, right. And you're going to hear it the rest of your life. Get used to it. So it's been a couple of weeks since you announced your retirement. What has the start to retirement been like so far? It's been great. Just a chance to, you know, kick back with the family. And then there's obviously been a lot of things going on. And it's been exciting times for us. Just, you know, the kids are on cloud nine, just going to school every day. You know, my wife and I having some time to reflect a little bit about, you know, just the 16 years, the journey. Uh, all of that, it's, it's been really amazing. And, and now uh, here coming up, we're about to take a little family vacay for their spring break and just get away for a little bit and enjoy just being around each other. Can't beat that. Andrew Whitworth is joining us. Now, you made the point that the warrior in you would love to keep playing, but your body may not. When you play in the NFL as long as you have, I'm sure there are times when you have to tell your body to do things that maybe your body does not want to do. So what lets you know that it was, in fact, time to retire? You know, really, Jim, it was, it was less about the games. I mean, I felt like I could have tried to go another season and played for sure, but 
it's really about the enjoyment of just, you know, I, I'm a person who I want to have a certain energy and demeanor about myself every day I'm in the building and, and in everything I do. I want to be able to be at practices. I want to be able to be at things and have energy and, and be a positive influence on the guys around me and the team. And I started to lose a little of that and, and the fact that it's just injuries or not, you know, pain daily and different things just making me inactive or but you're making it to where, yeah, I can show up at the game and I can play play well, but during the week I'm not having as much fun. I'm not enjoying the week as much because I'm having to kind of overcome a lot of different things with the body, and, and that's taking some of your some of your smile away, some of your enjoyment. And to me it's just like, you know what, we've had an awesome run. What an amazing ride. To be able to go out this way is so special, and, and I want to leave it that way and, and not feel like I tried to go through a season that maybe I wasn't as mentally and, and physically ready to be able to go through. He is a Super Bowl champion. Andrew Whitworth is my guest. All of that said, and obviously you put a lot of thought into it, I know that you probably queried a few people close to you to get their thoughts. In fact, I know you and Wayne Gretzky had a conversation. What did 99 tell you? What kind of advice did he have for you? Well, he told me actually the NFC Championship week after we won it, uh, you know, he was excited about us getting to go to the Super Bowl. And he was like, man, I just feel it. You guys are going to find a way to win. And he was just, uh, he just kind of made a comment like, you know, what's even better than one is to win two. And, uh, you know, like basically kind of, I think he knew that that was probably on my mind is that if we won, I was going to probably walk away. And he was just having some fun with me. But, um, you know, he's one of those guys that's always been somebody that, you know, I haven't talked to him a ton, but when I do, I listen to what he has to say because uh, he always shares little nuggets with you that you can you can kind of kind of bank on that are probably pretty good. And, and he's one of the guys that encouraged me to keep going after we lost the Super Bowl in 2018 and told me to make make the team tear that jersey off my back. And, and uh, you know what? I'm sure glad I stuck with it and, and was around for this season. You bet Andrew Whitworth is joining us. You and I spoke a couple of months back. So if we were to go back, like, what was the Super Bowl experience like for you, and what was it like to prepare for that game and get another shot? You know, having played in another Super Bowl, um, you know, this one obviously different because it was a home game for us really in the sense of, not a, uh, it was at our home stadium, but just not having to travel and things. It was a much different week. I mean, the media stuff was different. Uh, all the, you know, really the bigness you feel when you fly into a Super Bowl site and when you start realizing, wow, I'm, I'm on this stage. I think that for us, the experience is a little more like, a, like an NFC or AFC championship game because we kind of were in our same area, doing our same things, and just doing media as the extra part of really our experience. So, it's a pretty normal week from that standpoint. Uh, the crazy part is just obviously playing the Cincinnati Bengals, the franchise I've been with for 11 years and had the opportunity to be a part of. Uh, that made it such a special opportunity for us and our family and how many great memories came just from getting to talk to media people from there and fans and everything else. It really made it just an amazing ride for us to be our last week in the NFL to be two franchises we poured our heart and soul into. I actually love that angle. I think that's an amazing angle right there. I was going to ask you about that, too. You beat me to it. Andrew Whitworth is my guest. So I'm curious, how did it feel not only to win a Super Bowl, but to win it the way you did with a 15-play drive that ended with a TD with 125 left in the fourth quarter? You know, crazy. To, to face your former team and to be in a moment where you know, two franchises that you invested all of yourself into, either one of those teams winning is a good reflection on yourself, but obviously your team in the game that you're playing for the biggest. And to have that moment to be able to come from behind and win the game and to walk off uh, not only winning, but winning in style there, finding a way to dig deep with a bunch of guys injured uh, to win that football game, I think it made something that will last 
you know, not only are Super Bowls lifetime achievements, you, you think about them forever, but, man, when you go through a moment like that with our team, how, how, how we had to dig deep and find a way to win through some adversity, I think that's something that forever we will talk about and reminisce on is that last drive and the comments, the moment, how special it was just to, just to see how much it meant to everybody in that huddle. You know, when you talk about, Andrew, how much it meant or even how poetic it is that you won for Los Angeles and you went up against Cincinnati, I think what I'm hearing from you is, correct me if I'm wrong, you take a lot of pride in the fact that you have something to do with creating the culture in both of those places and had something to do with both those teams being where they are right now. Is that a fair statement? And how important is it for you to help be a part of that DNA and develop that culture? Yeah, I mean, to me, that's the most important. I think that – you know, I've had this conversation with a lot of former players, is that young in your career, you think about the money, you think about the next contract, uh, how you can how you can play well to get yourself recognition. But eventually in your career, you hit a point where you realize when your team wins and there's a great culture, you have so much fun and everyone benefits. You're going to get the contract. You're going to get paid. You're going to have success and you're going to have a great time. And you find a way to be on a great team and to have a great locker room and to have a great – DNA and culture to how you do football and how you guys live day in and day out together, that relationship between your teammates and and the staff and the people in the building, when it's special, there's just no greater feeling in the world. I mean, people talk about, hey, I never felt like I I worked a day in my life. When when playing for the Los Angeles Rams these last five years, I've never had so much fun playing the game of football. I mean, I felt like a little kid every day uh, just from the culture and the DNA of how that place operates day in and day out was so special and, and I think that's something that I'll remember more than just the football plays. Right and I would imagine also because of the guys that you come to work with every single day the guys that you went to battle with every single day as an example you played that game with the initials of Robert Woods and Tyler Higby under your jersey right by your heart to me that's a really amazing tribute to your two injured teammates where did the idea come from and why was that so important to you? Well, just throughout the week, uh, you know, I'd had some special moments in those, you know, you got a two-week break leading up to the Super Bowl, and Tyler Higby had torn his MCL pretty significantly and had surgery our, our bye week of the Super Bowl, leading into the Super Bowl after the championship game. And watching this guy a day out of surgery, because obviously the timeline is crunched and you're, you're in a hustle to get back to the Super Bowl game in, in a week and a half, um, watching him try to take a step three inches, try to take a three-inch step, with tears in his eyes and, and just so much pain that he was going through to just try and figure out a way to get on that Super Bowl field. Uh, it really made me realize, as much as I'm here at the end of a 16-year career, I've accomplished all these things, how cool it's going to be for my last game to be in the Super Bowl, no matter what happens. But to watch the commitment he had, it made me remember what the game was so special about it and how much this game means to all of us. And, and so when I got ready to go out on that field, I thought of Robert Woods and him losing his father and the surgery for him having ACL surgery and Higby and his knee. And it just, man, these are two guys that I've been with since the day I showed up on this place. And I was like, you know what? I'll be damned if they're not going to be, you know, on my body somewhere as I go in this game today. So I decided right in pregame warm-ups, I just got a marker before I put my pads on. And I wrote both their names on my chest and played the game just, you know, with that feeling of, like, these guys are right there with me. I'll be damned if you're not a different dude. My man. And that's why, among other reasons, you were named the Walter Payton Man of the Year. You and I have talked about your commitment to the community in the past. I know you and your wife do not do this for recognition, but at the same time, what does that particular recognition mean to you both? Uh, it's amazing. I think for us, it was so special because, you know, it's not like her and I go out and try to fundraise money and hit up corporations for dollars and, and things like that or, or use name recognition to create stuff. We 
we just try to serve people and, and go out in the community and meet people where they're at. And if it's, you know, helping somebody get groceries or helping them, you know, get in their first home or helping somebody just, you know, have a better day. Um, I think to us, you know, it's about just that community service is really just living life with people and, and being there for one another. And so for us to get recognized for that and our service in that way, uh, it's just so humbling and so honoring. And also just to look around at all the people that have won that award and then all the people that have been nominated and all the special things they've done. It's so humbling to think that those people think of you the same way. And so that was an amazing experience for us and one we'll never forget. Andrew Whitworth, my guest. I got one final thought, one final question for you. So your playing days might be over, but in no way do I think that the fire has gone out. So how do you approach the next chapter? And can you make a case that it might be even better than the one that came before it? You know, I, I just I believe that uh, anything you do, Jim, you make it better than the day you got there. And so for me, I'm going to be involved in football one way or another. Uh, my passion for the game, my passion for the guys who play it, the people who cover it, everything there is about NFL football uh, is still there, and I still can't wait to be involved. So I'm going to find a way to make that chapter special, and I don't know what it'll end up like, but one way or another, we're going to get there. I'd buy stock in that. It's a great message. He is a Super Bowl champion, also a Walter Payton Man of the Year winner, played his college ball, of course, at LSU, where he had a great career there, too, and just retired last month after 16 NFL seasons. Andrew Whitworth. Andrew, like I said at the very top, pumped to have a chance to talk to you once again. Thanks so much for that great conversation. Really appreciate that. Thank you. Hey, appreciate you having me on, man. Thank you. Clones, what do you want when you're craving protein or you need more energy? Not bars, not sugary snacks, not energy drinks. You want beef, pure and simple. Where's the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper Beef Jerky. Old Trapper is not your old man's jerky. Shriveled, dry, tasteless. Old Trapper Beef Jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. It's tender, it's tasty, it's not tough. And why is it so good? Because Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for its relentless commitment to quality. They take smoked beef extremely seriously, and you can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein. It comes in four amazing flavors to satisfy all your cravings. Quality smoked meat at its finest. It goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. So look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. Clones, if you do not see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper or what's your beef? But I'm going to do something that you clones probably will like. Maybe not as much as you want to like it, but I'm actually going to open the door to... An Orenthal take, an actual Oge take. And I've done my very best over the last, I don't know, 30 years to strike this from the record. But y'all won't let me. But now, when there's an actual news story involving the guy that is relevant, I'll go there. Let me read you this headline from TMZ. And I quote, O.J. Simpson, woken up by Nicole Lookalike at 1 a.m., in viral prank video. End of headline. Have you ever heard so much wrong in one headline? I mean, that's a whole lot of stupid crammed into one single headline, and the video is so much worse. According to TMZ, it's a video that was posted on TikTok over the weekend, and here is how TMZ described it. Quote, a Nicole Brown Simpson lookalike surprised O.J. Simpson in his bedroom 
at 1 a.m. for a prank video. And you can see in the footage, the juice was, and in bold, shocked by the impromptu wake-up call. End of quote. I mean, dude, are you serious about that? For who? For what? Why? Who the hell would ever want to shock Oge? I mean, this cat has been known to lash out and slash out. The hell would anybody want to shock Oge? And of all things, one thing to shock Oge, already a horrible idea. But of all things, why would you want to shock him with a Nicole Brown Simpson lookalike? That's not only moronic, that is extremely detrimental to your health, potentially. I mean, the sort of thing that could get you killed, literally. On the list of people that I would like to, quote, shock out of a deep sleep, Oge is last. D-F-L. Dead freaking last. This is the last dude that I'm ever going to prank. Because I just don't think the dude has a great sense of humor. Because, and I don't know, I don't know if you know this, but OJ's track record with dealing with surprises is pretty horrible. Ask Ron how OJ responds to being surprised. Well, that's right, we can't. Ron's dead. OJ didn't take too kindly to a waiter returning a pair of glasses, allegedly. He was surprised by that. So how do you think he's going to respond to being pranked in his own bedroom in the middle of the night? Like Ron, Ron was not doing some wacky stunt for some social media platform. He was returning, just returning sunglasses, allegedly. OJ took that about as terribly as you possibly can. What I'm saying is the juice, he's got some anger issues. And he's got a temper. And he's crazy violent. Allegedly. Um, he killed two people? Allegedly. Hey, listen, I understand TikTok and social media is about doing stuff that goes viral. But shocking O.J. Simpson could make you go dead. In your pursuit of going viral, you may end up going dead instead. I mean, who the hell is saying wakey, wakey to O.J. Simpson? Listen to this. One of them said that. As they burst into his bedroom at 1 o'clock in the morning, one of them actually said, wakey, wakey. Wakey, wakey. Wakey, wakey, OJ. Who does that? Because wakey, wakey Wakey, wakey. is liable to become slicey, slicey. Slash in Brentwood calling this show. Can't believe how stupid this prank was. It's like the dumbest jackass stunt ever. Like, I'm a Nicole Brown Simpson lookalike, and this is me walking up to alleged double murderer O.J. Simpson at one in the morning as he sleeps. I'm a Nicole Brown Simpson lookalike, and this is me waking up the guy who killed Nicole Brown Simpson. Allegedly. Listen, I don't even know if the video's real. I don't know if it's real or not. It seems a little unusual to me that a Nicole Brown Simpson lookalike can just get into OJ's house and into his bedroom in the middle of the night. So I don't know if it's real or not. I just know it's real dumb. 
And if it's fake, it's even worse. Because that means that these idiots sat down with Oj and they planned it. You know what would be, yeah, like, you know what would be hilarious? Hey, 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 how about this? How about we do a fake video where we pretend to wake you up, Oj, at 1 a.m.? I mean, real or fake, it's real, real stupid. And the caption on the video is not much smarter. Quote, let's wake up OJ at 1 a.m. Yeah, I don't know. How about we don't? How about we don't wake up OJ at 1 a.m.? How about we make sure that we're still all alive at 2 a.m.? Let's get up. Let's get up. Imagine if you said, let's wake up BTK at 1 a.m. Because that's essentially what you're saying when you say, let's wake up OJ at 1 a.m. Like, I know the murders of Nicole Brown Simpson and Ron Goldman were nearly 30 years ago, which in and of itself is incredible. I know it was nearly 30 years ago, and the people in this video don't seem to be that old or that bright. So maybe they don't really know much about what happened. But you do know who you're pranking, right? That's not Nordberg. That's not the dude from the Hertz commercials. That's the dude who, at the very least, very least, served nearly a decade for kidnapping. Oh, and was accused of nearly decapitating two people. Hypothetical. Yeah, I'm not going to try that guy. I'm not testing to see if that guy thinks it's hilarious if we wake him up at 1 a.m. Like, hello, risk versus reward. The reward is really low, and the risk is getting stabbed a billion times. Allegedly. The reward is some run on TikTok, and maybe on this show, and the risk is bleeding to death. Allegedly. The risk, social media run for a couple hours. Well, that's the reward. The risk, losing your head. Literally. If this guy wakes up out of a deep slumber and he finds people in his room, he's probably going to slash first and ask questions later. And by the way, not that I thought that I would ever defend this guy for anything, but isn't that true of most people? If somebody is in your master bedroom that's not supposed to be there in the middle of the night, aren't you reaching for the machete and asking questions later? I don't think they're there to have fun, and I don't think they're there to knock out a TikTok video. If somebody is in your room in the middle of the night, a judge is probably going to side with that, even if you are a psychopath. I'm guessing this dude's going to slice first and ask questions later, and that's before we even get to the part about one of the people in the room looking like Nicole Brown Simpson. Like, I get it. TMZ is overselling the similarity between the two women a little bit too much. But at 1 o'clock in the morning, coming out of a dead sleep, I'm not sure Oj is going to even know the difference. Listen, I know that everything on TikTok has to be a dance or a prank or a challenge. But maybe you steer clear of pranking John Wayne Gacy or doing the Boston Strangler Challenge. Or, hey, yo, why don't we go bust on Jeffrey Dahmer? Here's another line from TMZ that caught my attention. Quote, the girls had their phones out playing music loudly while a man can be heard in the background saying, let's go. It's party time in the house. Who is shouting, let's go 
it's party time in the house when he's in O.J. Simpson's house. Who's looking to get down with that dude? Who's looking to party with that dude? It's not like he's cool or fun or funny. He's actually old as hell and dangerous as hell. He's nearly 75 now. Who is looking to party with a 75-year-old alleged double murderer? Like, you do realize when you prank somebody, inevitably, there is a return prank, right? And if it's OJ creeping into your room with something in his hand while you're sleeping, I don't think you're going to be saying, let's go! More like, oh no. OJ laughing and saying, stabby, stabby, in my pajamas or buck naked, man, I'm jumping out the window. Wakey, wakey, stabby, stabby, slicey, slicey. I'm jumping out the windy, windy. Like, I don't care if I'm up on the second floor or I'm on the 100th floor. I've got a better chance of surviving that fall than surviving that Heisman-winning psychopath. I mean, this dude's whole life is a prank to all of humanity. Yeah, and again, they know where he lives. They were able to get in. They were in his bedroom. That's not a setup. So if it is, it's even worse. And if it's not, it's still pretty horrible. Yeah, I just don't know. Y'all, y'all should be very happy with yourselves. Not for what you did, that, but that you're all still alive. Yeah, I'm not surprised that guy in the middle of the night. What a world we live in. Imagine people just sitting around with nothing better to do. Like, what do we do? What do we come up with? What's the prank? What's the content? How, what do we do? What do we do? How do we outdo everybody on TikTok? How, hey, hey, hey. You kind of look like Nicole. Hey, follow me on this. Listen, listen, listen. Shut up. You look like Nicole. Does anybody know anybody who looks like Judge Ito? Anyway, it doesn't matter. You look like Nicole. Let's just show up and wake them up. And party. Yeah, I know. I'll say wakey, wakey. Like I said, you're just lucky he didn't say stabby, stabby. There you go, clones. An actual, bona fide, authentic, legitimate Oge take. Hey, does anybody here know anybody who looks like Marsha Clark? Can you get like a Marsha Clark mask for Halloween? I mean, Cato, he's available. We don't even need somebody who looks like him. The dude himself will do it. I know he'll do it. He'll probably do it for 10 bucks. Anybody got a line of Chris Darden? Hey, man, if we're doing this, we're doing this right. Let's get the whole band together. At Photograph Tweets, it was almost as if Ron and Nicole scared me at the house. Ron and Nicole were physically dead, and it's almost like they killed me. Jamie and Green Bay. Maybe they were just returning his memorabilia. At Alvy's Bitch tweets, Jim, I don't think you understand. OJ throws some killer parties. Let's go, it's party time! At SA Sports Hong tweets, Rome. Do you know who's not getting woken up at 1 a.m. with a prank? Ron and Nicole. Nunzio, quote, Jim, dudes who steal money from the mob have more common sense than these Nicole Brown Simpson lookalikes.
Bob tweets, plus, plus side, Juice is a convicted felon, so it's a lock that there's no guns in the house, and nobody sleeps with a fillet knife under the pillow. Right, I hadn't really factored that in. But I bet those involved didn't either. Because A, they're not that bright, or B, the juice was in on it, and they all planned it. At Sore Throats tweets, Jim, was she really that much of a lookalike? Her neck didn't seem to resemble a Pez dispenser to me. We haven't gone with any Pez dispenser smack in years. Boy, there's a throwback. There was a time when all I did was get Pez dispenser faxes. That's a, a true throwback. Uh, when we come back. Andrew Whitworth, Super Bowl champ, Walter Payton Man of the Year winner, will be joining me next. So we'll class it back up. Wakey, wakey. Wakey, wakey. Wakey, wakey, OJ. Are you kidding me with that? There's no way that's real. Come on. And now I've got a message from Discover about rewards. If you're a loyal credit card customer, you should be rewarded for your loyalty, preferably with something that's useful, you know, like cash back match. Discover matches all the cash back that you've earned at the end of your first year. How cool is that? Finally, rewards that make sense. Discover. Exceptionally common sense. Learn more at discover.com slash match. Limitations do apply. Let's get front of the program. He is Matt Norlander. Matt, what's going on? How are you? It's just amazing to be with you. It has been a surreal and incredible past 72 hours. Uh, yes, the unintentional... <laughs> The fact that during Mike Krzyzewski's final game of his career, a sidebar is the band Guster and a Guster is for Lover sticker. Uh, you know, it was unintentional. I've had the laptop forever. It's also just, you know, we can have fun with it. It's objectively hilarious. So it, is, uh, it has been amazing. And what the replacements are to you and we're to you, Jim, that's what Guster is to me. I'm a huge, huge fan of the fact that this has happened. It was just... Uh, it was an amazing side thing to what was an awesome, awesome final four. Really quickly, for those, Matt, who do not understand what we're talking about, the Guster is for Lovers bumper sticker was on your laptop, is on your laptop, and it showed up on TV in the final four, and it just went to a new level. It was trending on Twitter. It was trending on Twitter Saturday night. I know you're there to get your work in, but what was that entire experience like for you? It was, uh, to be honest, it was... Uh, funny and then uh it got to a point where i actually uh, I, I told this to uh, maggie and perloff on cbs sports radio i actually got uncomfortable with how how much attention it was getting because again this is duke carolina in the final four for the first time ever this could be k's last game and you know social media is just going nuts with this guster stuff you know i'm hearing from the band that this is happening they're losing it but it did get to be too much, so I wanted to make sure I didn't have to have this keep happening. It was all in the first half, and I wound up covering it. And yeah, and then in the subsequent, you know, 48 hours, uh, it was just, it was Jim. It was wild. But you know what? It was really fun. The guys took it in stride, and uh, the band is so thankful. I can't even believe this is going to happen. They're going to. Ha- I do play a little guitar in my in my you know side time, if you will. And they want they want me on stage at a Guster show later this year with my laptop. And, uh, and, and playing a, a few tunes. So that's just an amazing thing that came from Dude, all of it. Respectfully, that's not good enough. You should be in the band. 
They should put you in the band. You should pull a paycheck. You should tour. You should sell merch. You should have band groupies. You should have the life. You should be in the band for what you've done for them. Jim, you're incredible. That's amazing. Yes, it has been uh, it has been plenty wild, and it was a fun little side thing to uh, what was just an unbelievable capper to a great tournament. The only thing the tournament had was a buzzer beater, but everything else, like the final four. Obviously, Duke Carolina was incredible, and the last night title game was just amazing. And uh, it was just awesome to get this after not having a tournament proper like this for three years. It was awesome. Matt Norlander is joining us. So, Matt, in Kansas, they win the championship last night. But before we get into that part, what did you make of how they showed up in the first half last night? And then how do you explain how they showed up in the first half? Well, Kansas, remember, early on with Kansas, uh, Baji hits the first bucket of the game on the first possession, like three. And he, I, I, so my seat, again, was behind the bench, and I was behind Bill Self and KU. And Abaji kind of looks over at Self, and it was kind of like, we're here to do this. We're not messing around. They get out to an early lead. And then they just they start playing bafflingly bad. Like, it was a little bit of a, of a redux of what we saw against Miami in that Elite Eight match. Now, I wasn't overly concerned. Now, I, I, you know, when, they, when it got to 15 at the half, I, I, I was taking a few notes because, you know, writing the column and all that, and I thought it's down 15, would be the biggest ever, but not necessarily over, you know, how healthy is Baycott and, and can UNC keep this up? And, you know, certainly they were looking like, Carolina was looking like it was going to be able to win, and Hubert Davis would have the, the all-time first-season story for any coach, and maybe he still kind of does, Jim. But um, they rallied because it was such a great team effort and Bill Self's ability to just in the second half. So the building was incredible in that first 20 minutes. It was filled up, um, Kansas and Carolina. Like, sometimes on a Monday night, you might have little pockets and swaths where there's empty seats because there might be a team that isn't expected to get there or they might be far away from their home base where, where the title game is. That was not the case. It was just as packed. It was just as great of an environment as it was on Saturday with, uh, with Duke and UNC. And for Kansas to come back the way it did, it obviously made history. Biggest comeback ever. And, and Self and those guys did a wonderful job. Again, team game. And at, at the same time, though, I fully acknowledge – we were simply one bucket away of having another epic ending. If Brady Manning doesn't slip, Hubert Davis said the play design on that final one, it was actually for Brady to get the ball, which makes sense. He's their most reliable perimeter shooter. But he slipped, and Caleb Love winds up with it. It's a rush shot, goes awry. Kansas wins, and Bill Self becomes the, second, or the, the first coach in Kansas history to win two national titles. No doubt. Matt Norlander is joining us. I, I see it the same way. That was a well-developed play. And if he doesn't slip, I don't know how the conversation changes. It may or may not, but it might. So what's going through your mind, Matt, when Dewan Harris catches that inbounds pass with over four seconds to go, and then he steps out of bounds, and not just once, but twice? I mean, just to take you inside the world of, of you know, us hacks sitting on, the, on press row when something like that happens, the potential for the entire scope of the game can change with something like that. I mean, I, in my mind, I don't know if this was – it probably wasn't said on TV – and I don't know how much uh, I wasn't really following Twitter in the moment there. But in my mind, I went to, oh, man, almost three decades after Weber. Like, if this better not go wrong for him. Like, the, a completely unforced error. And now Carolina's got a shot to send this to overtime. And if, it, and if they do win, like, he's going to be, you know, this poor young man would be in the same category as Weber, in the same city, in the same building. Thankfully, it didn't happen that way. And Kansas wound up getting the win. So, you know, uh, you know a college athlete is spared infamy uh, in a way that you don't want to have it there but yes it uh, it did provide some some late late game drama bill self actually made a, a quick defensive uh, adjustment and substitution there to make sure he got his guys in the best position possible and that's what happened caleb love unfortunately you know 
he had an interesting couple of days, Jim. He hits the shot that beats Duke. His money will never be good in Chapel Hill, obviously, uh, with how they were able to, to send off Mike Krzyzewski and the Blue Devils. And then, unfortunately, there was a little bit of the Caleb Love that we saw in pockets this season. He only was 5 for 24 from the field, and he wasn't able to duplicate the kind of effort and big-time showing that he had on Saturday. Um, it was unfortunate, but I still give a ton of credit to where the way Car- – I mean, Jim, the way Carolina showed up in that game, there was, in my opinion – there was none of this Duke hangover. Can you emotionally get up for it? No, no, no. Kansas got, got out to a quick start. UNC absorbed the blow. Then they go on like a 29-13 run. And if Baycott doesn't twist his ankle, maybe we're not even in the spot we're in with the final 10 seconds. We just simply don't know. Baycott was amazing in uh, six double-doubles in six NCAA tournament games. Really one of the all-time NCAA tournament performances, I hope, that that's ultimately remembered years from now. Even though Carolina didn't win the title, if it did, Baycott would have easily been the, the MOP. Um, but his uh, his performance over the course of six games and his, you know, really roughing through that uh, that tender ankle really deserves to be commended. I thought they showed tremendous heart, tremendous grit, and to reset a racing analogy, Matt, that I always use, they ran a, a winning race. They just didn't win the race, but sometimes you can run your eyeballs out and still not win. That was Carolina last night. Now, not to be a buzzkill here, but, Matt, as good as last night was for Kansas, it does all come against the backdrop of the FBI scandal and the five level one violations by self and the program. So how do you square that scandal and last night's win? I mean, it's, it's, it's a completely fair and legitimate question because, you know, Kansas fans, they deserve and, – and, and the players, the program, they, they want to celebrate through soon. They're soaking in. And then they will. They're going to, today's an amazing day in that state, on, on that campus, and for Kansas fans everywhere. And that'll be the case for the rest of the week. But the fact of the matter is, you know, behind the scenes in college basketball, I mean, I've had a few sources tell me that the Kansas punishment that's coming is expected to come soon. Like, if it happened before the end of April, I wouldn't be surprised. And I really think that the, the May is, is the latest. Now, to be clear on this, because I understand how a story like this, which has been going on forever and too long, this is another major problem. These things shouldn't take this long. This Kansas team will not be in danger of having this title vacated. There aren't players on this roster tied to the issue at hand dating back to the FBI scandal and things found on wiretap in 2017. Okay? So itself is not losing the national championship. Kansas will not have this vacated. That's not on the table. But what I do think, is that Kansas just won the 2022 national championship, and there's a decent chance that Kansas will not be eligible to play in next year's NCAA tournament. It could get a postseason ban for 2023. I do believe Bill Self is staring down a suspension because of his attachments. Now, he and the school have, I mean, extremely pushed back in public ways against the NCAA and advancement of whatever sanctions are going to come down to a level that is it's not unprecedented, Jim. It's just rare. They are prepared to sue the NCAA basically instantly whenever these sanctions come down because, as a reminder to your listeners, the way that this is happening with this IARP process, which is a relatively new thing, um, you cannot appeal the decision. So when the decision comes down, and I will just toss out a hypothetical. I'm not saying this is what's going to happen, but it's just a hypothetical. Let's say Kansas gets a one-year postseason ban. Bill Self is suspended for 15 games. He can't appeal it. That's going to be the thing. Now, he can sue to try and get whatever wins in you know, actual court, and we'll wait and see if there's success there or not. But any kind of uh, litigation I don't think would be played out in time to actually you know, go into effect and offset the, uh, the impact of at least a suspension for next season. So 
yes, there was the awkward moment. Uh, and uh, there was the awkward moment last night when they get the trophy. Emmert's on stage. And I, it was one of those things where I'm there uh, doing interviews, CBS Sports HQ. I hear Mark Emmer, and I'm like, there's no, because there's a big echo in the, uh, in the stadium, Jim. And I'm like, there's no way I just heard this dude say Kansas City Jayhawks. Yes, that, you did. That did not happen, right? Kansas City and, and it did. Oh, no. Oh, yeah, you heard right. You heard correctly, which made it so awesome. So, Matt, really quickly, the way you lay this scenario out, if, in fact, the NCAA punishes Kansas, if, in fact, there's a postseason ban and the coach is hit with a suspension, could you see him bouncing? Would the NBA interest him at all? How do you think it plays out if the NCAA does come down? Right. So, I appreciate you asking because this was after, you know, the confetti fell, dust settled, Kansas had left the arena. You know, I had done the Eye on College Basketball podcast. I had to get a, a column together, and I was thinking, you know, self is 59. And there's, there's, you know, there's not good news coming down the pike here for this program. Uh, I can see him staying at Kansas for another 10 years and really doing, uh, uh, winning another championship or two, right? But I just wonder, he's respected at the NBA level, okay? He doesn't have anything left to prove in college. I'm not saying self should leave college. I'm not predicting he will. I'm simply putting it out there. If he decided to step away from college, would anyone really blame him? It wouldn't be an unreasonable decision there. Um, I don't know where Bill Self's mind is on this. I knew that he loves this program, and he has been involved behind the scenes in just a huge tussle and back and forth at the NCAA with everything regarding this FBI scandal. But if the NBA, Jim, you know this, there's going to be a number of jobs that open. It's going to have to take the right owner, general manager, right front office to consider him. But I'm just telling you, in college basketball, Bill Self, as a tactician, as a basketball coach, has long been considered like top three good, if not number one. I had two coaches text me within five minutes of that game ending last night, basically saying that guy is the best we have in this game. He is the best. And so he has a really good reputation at the next level. It wouldn't stun me if, you know, if something were to happen there, I just wanted to at least, you know, Kansas fans aren't happy with this. And I'm not, again, I'm not saying he's going to do it. I'm just saying, let's look at everything that he's accomplished. Plus what's coming down the pipe. Right. Does, he I, wanna, I don't, does he want to, does he want to endure this? I don't know. It's not unfair at all. And now a message from discover about customer service and common sense. Listen, when you have credit card questions, it is nice to have them answered by a real person. You know, somebody who can actually understand your issues and work to resolve them. In other words, what you don't need is a robot. That's why Discover offers helpful U.S.-based representatives available 24 and 7. No wonder we call it live customer service. Discover. Exceptionally common sense. Discover. But I want to talk about what happened last night if you're a sports gambler, especially if you were a KU better. How was your bleeping night? In fact, don't answer. I already know. I already know because I are the manager. I know because I was with you right there. And so was the big head. We did big head bets. We did big head bets yesterday. Thanks, Ali. And we both picked Kansas minus four. Now, quickly, for those of you not in the know, and more and more people are getting educated on this, but in the sports betting world, a bad beat, you've probably heard the phrase, and I'm not looking to talk down to anybody who already knows, but not everybody does it. A bad beat is when something really unlucky costs you a win, and it happens. Quote, it happens to us all. Yesterday, I had the big head on. And of all days, I gave him a hard time for his legendary bad beat 
when he held a 40-to-1 futures pick on the 2019 Kansas City Chiefs to win the Super Bowl. He was holding on to a 40-to-1 futures pick. But the ticket was put to flames because a professional football player could not line up on the correct side of the football and negated his team's game-winning INT and ultimately cost them the game, this season, and the big head, his 40-to-1 ticket. He's still so pissed, it's his pin tweet. He will not take it down. Like, there are bad beats. And then there's the D. Ford, legendarily bad beat. Don't believe me? Ask the big head. Safe to say this, Sam. D, my man, you can slide the hell over or at least make room for some additional company. You now have company on that infamous mountain of boneheaded bleep that costs sports bettors a ton of dough. Now, I am not privy to how much the big head threw down on last night's game, but I'm sure it's not as much as the four gur he would have won on the Chiefs. But I'm also pretty confident in saying for him and whoever else held a Jayhawk ticket last night, no names mentioned, me, me. I'm pretty sure that if you were holding on to a Jayhawk minus four ticket, then we all took a direct kick to the stick last night. And it was bad. I mean, there are bad beats, and then there's that. Direct kick in the stick when... That's it. His phrase, not mine. And I wouldn't want to claim that as my own. That's his. You should trademark that head. Put it on mouse pads, coffee mugs, shirts, a lid for your gigantic head, a direct kick to the stick. Why don't we get into that direct kick to the stick? So after trailing 38-22 with 2.23 left in the first half, obviously we all know that Kansas completed the largest comeback in NCAA tournament history in beating back UNC last night. It's great. Only one problem. For those KU bettors who had not ripped up their tickets at halftime, and thank goodness now we have mobile tickets now, most should not have, the Jayhawks, while they did come all the way back and set the record for greatest comeback ever, in fact, they did not finish the job. Not for the betting fan base they didn't. So, if you listened to the show yesterday and you didn't fade us, but you hit with us on the Jayhawks. Kansas Jayhawks. Then you got the Jayhawks. Jayhawks. How how many syllables does Jayhawks have? Jayhawks. Anyway, if you did not fade us and you got down with us, you got them at four. Or maybe four and a half. I saw it at four and a half on some sites before a tip. The cover for us was in clear sight. Remarkably. Because that game was bleeping over at halftime. I'm not even kidding. I said earlier in the program that the same big head was blowing up my phone saying, Boss, is it cool with you if I don't watch the second half? It's not like I have any reason to. And I said, you know, I know that one segment a week work week you have can be really taxing head but yes you dean you need to watch the second half good thing too they come all the way back not only do they come all the way back and they're in position to win they come all the way back and they're in position to cover the cover was in clear sight incredibly enough seconds to go KU has the ball they're up 72-69 knowing 
they're going to get fouled in the hopes that UNC gets the ball back for another possession. But for KU better, what that meant was you're up by three. You're looking at a one-and-one when you're fouled. They make one free throw. You at least get a push at minus four. You make both free throws. We all win. And the guy who ends up with the ball in his hands is nearly 80% from the line. Obviously, that's why he was the one who ended up with the ball in his hands. Great spot to be in, right? The Jayhawks. Or to quote James Kelly, the Jayhawks. Jayhawks. Run a nice play. Run an inbounds to get Dewan Harris open and moving towards the Jayhawks basket. Excuse me, my bad. This is what happened. Harris, I said. It was out of bounds. I think. I don't know what happened. Davis making an appeal. Like they might review it. It's a nice call, nice set. And oh, he did. Yeah, he did. No, that guy did right. go out of bounds. That yeah. left foot twice. Wow, what now a mistake that is. Sure, now you got a good shot. Moving towards the Carolina basket, I meant to say. And listen, it's amazing. Like the two games that everybody's watching, right? These guys are calling the very obvious game. Like, oh, that could come back to hurt. And then the other game where half the country is freaking out and in shock and stunned. All right? Like, no shots, nothing on the stripe, just one swift blow to the stick. Somehow, someway, my man ran out of bounds on his own. Twice. I've watched a hell of a lot of basketball in my day on a lot of different levels. I don't ever, ever recall seeing a dude do something like that especially, well, twice, especially with the national championship hanging in the balance. That is pretty much the college basketball equivalent to D. Ford not lining up correctly. The dude ran out of bleeping bounds twice. Tar Heels ball, no cover for KU better. No! I'm really curious. What were you all thinking when that went down? I'll tell you exactly what I was doing. Not only what I was thinking, but what I was doing. Seriously, I was texting with a big head. This is not happening. This is not happening. This is not happening. Like, I was stunned. There's no way something like that just happened. I seriously was in shock. And again, to make matters worse, as I mentioned, Harris is the team's best free throw shooter. Shooting damn near 80% from the line for the season. 80%. See, this is what makes this such a horrific beat if you're on the wrong side. It wasn't a missed free throw or a missed shot. It was not that kind of mistake. He just stepped out of bounds twice on his own. It went from being almost the greatest rally for a cover ever to having your heart ripped out of your chest the second you were about to grab that straight cash homie. You want to talk about the worst tease ever. That's it. Like, I would so much rather have been wrong and had them beaten by 30 than to have that happen. And to make matters worse, and it did get worse. Not only did I have to sleep on that, and I did not sleep well, I got this old dude on the staff who half the time I think he's not even paying attention to the show when it's going on, and the other half the time he's just straight dozing. Yet, The second I see this guy this morning, my man's coming out of his skin. 
the second I see Rit this morning, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, grinning ear-to-ear, and loudly saying, Hey, boss, how about that plus four and a half, baby? How about it? How about it? Hey, old man, did you not have your hearing aids in yesterday? Is it time to change the batteries on those hearing aids? I mean, did you not hear me take KU minus four, dude? This is the most writ thing ever. He knows I'm pissed. He knows I lost a bet. He knows I lost a little credibility because I went on the air and I hit that so hard. Yeah, my man's just rolling right up on me. How about that plus four and a half, baby? Yeah, sure, you were wrong, but I, not me. Here's the thing, Rit. If I'm wrong a lot, I lose credibility. If I lose credibility, I lose this job. If I lose this job, you, old man, lose your job. So maybe you don't stand over me and keep asking me, how about that plus four and a half, baby? Idiot. I was almost as mad at Rit as I was to lose that bet. However, here is the thing that I want to share with you. As pissed as I am at Rit, Rit's not the one who stepped out of bounds. However, and this is a really important point to make, really important point to make, it felt like crap. But this is the life. Extreme ownership, yo. If you... If you really are that put off by what that guy did, you need to look in the mirror. And I had to remind myself of it too, and I had to remind the big head and anybody else. This is the key takeaway. It was a bad beat. It felt horrible. But spread is life. Spread is life, baby. And if you choose to participate in this life, this sports gambling life, bleep happens. To everybody, it's inevitable. Everybody gets punched in the face. Everybody has a bad beat if you're in the life. Sure, I never imagined a dude would run out of bounds twice with a championship game hanging in the balance. But the fact of the matter is, he did. And even more importantly, he didn't make you bet. Don't come at the guy for that. He didn't make you bet. Nobody made you bet. And most importantly to him and the KU family, they won. They had that national championship. It didn't cost them anything at all. And they don't give a damn how much it cost you or me or anybody else, and nor should they. Don't be coming for the guy who stepped on the line twice. If you accept the life, you accept the bad beats. You take the good with the bad. Even if the high of the best win is never as intense as the low of the worst beat. And let me prepare you for that. Generally, it's not. Just know that going in. Or don't go in at all. That's the life. That's what you're signing up for. That's the gambling life. That's why we do it, man. Because it feels so good when you win. And sometimes it hurts so much when you lose. So right. I always say, give me an A or give me an F. And that's usually what you get from that life, which is what makes it so awesome, but so gut-wrenching. So what I'm saying to you is, I'm with you. I experienced it. But throw on the big boy pants and own it. But I will say, unless those big boy pants come with a big-ass plastic cup, that kick in the stick is going to hurt, doesn't it? Direct kick in the stick. Hey, Rit, I'm here, man. You want another free kick, old man? 
I always, I always say this, only bet what you can afford to lose, truly, because you're going to lose. That'll happen. Even when you think that it won't, that's the life. You should have known. You got to expect it. The craziest, thing, the craziest things happen when you're in that life. Even guys stepping out of bounds twice. Man, what a ride that was, right? They came all the way back. Not only they came all the way back from the largest deficit ever to win, they were going to cover. They just were. <laughs> what an amazing moment. And by the way, this is another reason why I do it. Because when you win and you're on the same side with others, you share it. You celebrate. It's incredible. But when you're on the wrong side, you commiserate with others. Am I right? That's why I just did a whole segment on it because I'm commiserating with you and you with me. But you got to put on your big boy pants and turn the page. And just know the guy, the program, they don't give a damn and nor should they. They don't care what they cost us because they won. Scoreboard. It's just the scoreboard now is different than it used to be. There were two games going on at once. It's not the amazing thing too and nobody's saying anything. And I know why they're not. I'm not saying it was anybody's job to say something. Al Michaels would have said something. But I'm not saying that it's anybody's job to say anything. But wasn't that an amazing thing to watch that game? And you're hearing all of it. Like before gambling was legalized, you would never think anything other than all the pageantry. But how many of you were watching that post game just muttering to yourselves, damn, damn, damn. Ryan Blaney is my guest. Ryan, it's been a minute or two since we've spoken. How are you doing? How is your life right about now? Hey, yeah, it's, it's been a little while. So, uh, Thanks for having me on, and things have been going pretty good. It's just been nice to kind of get our season started with this new car and kind of the challenges of learning, you know, something completely different from what we've had in the past. So that's been a challenge, but I feel like everyone really enjoys those challenges and tries to rise up to them. Yeah, I like that. It's good to have you back. So you're coming off another top 10 finish on Sunday, and now you're getting ready for Saturday night under the lights of Martinsville. You touched on it, but overall, how would you describe the mood and the vibe around the team right now? Because you are running well. Yeah, it's been going pretty good. I think, uh, obviously, we would have you know, liked to have a win by now, but that's that's everybody. And uh, But overall, I feel like uh, our, our group has done a great job of adjusting to this new car, and, and it's had really good speed, and it's shown, you know, with the polls we've been able to get here the last, you know, month and, um, you know, be leading the points right now. I think it's been been going pretty smoothly. And, uh, you know, working with a new crew chief started this year, it's, it's been great to fire off at speed and, and you know, kind of have that communication with, with the new guys. So uh, it's been going well. It's just a matter of, you know, getting better each week because, you know, you know, the other teams are doing the same. We were talking to Ryan Blaney. Fact is, you've had three poles in the last four races, and you got a second also. So you're having a lot of success in qualifying. You're really close. You're obviously really close. And you're coming off a huge year last year where you had a career-high three cup wins, and you went back to the round of eight in the playoffs. Did it feel like that was a breakthrough last year? And if so, how have you gone about trying to build upon that? Yeah, I definitely you know, thought it was the best we've ran um, in my career, at least, you know, was last year. And you know, getting a few wins and uh, and making it to the round eight, just just missing out on the you know championship four, and um, yeah, you just you just try to learn from you know your previous years and okay, what did we do good, um, and what did we do, what did we struggle with that we can get better at? Um, you know, let's focus on those areas. So um, you always just want to improve year to year, um, and whether that's me personally as a driver and and maybe okay, let me I need to work on the communication that I have with the crew chief to try to 
work on these cars throughout the race or throughout practice um, or pinpoint, okay, we need to get our pit crew better. We need to get this better here or there. And um, you always just try to get better. So hopefully we can have an even better year uh, in 2022 and uh, make it to the championship four and uh, with more wins and, so we're working pretty hard at that right now. You know, Ryan, I thought you had a really interesting point when you were talking to The Athletic about crashes. And you said this about the one in Nashville where you exploded a, bl- a brake rotor. Quote, it felt like a full minute before I hit the fence, but it was probably two seconds. You're just waiting and you're not slowing down. You're like, this is going to hurt. End of quote. I'm curious, like, how would you describe those moments before impact? Yeah, it feels like you're, you're moving in slow motion. Uh, when you know that there's nothing you can do uh, to not wreck, um, like in that moment in Nashville, you know, we, we pretty much had no brakes. Uh, and, uh, you're going into a really tight corner, you know, running 180 and, uh, and don't slow down at all. Uh, and then you, and you know, like this is going to sting. And uh, it just feels like it takes forever for you to get to the wall and, and there's nothing you can do and you're hopeless. And like, man, it's, it's just, it's one of those things where you're thinking too much, uh, but uh, it's just part of our sport, you know, and, and you have to, you know, you don't sit around and think about those things, um, you know, really at all, uh, you know, after they happen. But, you know, those things, you understand that they do happen in your sport and you just have to move on from them. But that that is a weird thing of when you're, you can't do anything and you know, you're going to hit the wall pretty hard and this is going to hurt. Uh, so you just have to, kind of hang on and, and take what's coming to you. And then, um, you know, luckily our cars are, are really safe and they've done a great job with that side of it uh, that we could get out and, and walk away with no problems. I think that's an amazing response, and I appreciate your uh, candor and honesty. I want to ask you one thing. Like, you know what you signed up for, and you guys are all a different breed. I mean, it takes a different sort to even get behind the wheel of one of those rigs. You know what you signed up for. I'm curious, if you had to explain it, what does it take from a mental standpoint and a mindset to be a NASCAR driver? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think Eddie – every sport is different, um, you know, from the mentality side, uh, to the physical side, you know, everything's different, um, from sport to sport and what you need, uh, to make you the best at your individual sport. Um, I, you know, I, you know, NASCAR drivers, you know, physically, we're not very, I would say big people, um, as far as physical strength. Uh, but you know, the stamina side from us has to be pretty high, um, the mental side of our sport is so important because, you know, you're sitting in a, a incredibly fast race car uh, where you're on the edge of control all the time. It's 130 degrees in the thing, and you have to race for 500 miles and concentrate for 500 miles. And one little mistake, and you're you're wrecked. Um, so the mental side is so important for us of staying focused and keeping your mind clear and always on the task at hand. Um, that's something we really try to work work towards. And um, it's, it's super important, and, and uh, it's one of those things that you're always trying to, you know, better yourself on. But the mental side for us is just as big as the physical side, maybe even bigger, because you have to have so much focus for such a long period of time when your body's tired and you're, you're mentally exhausted. Uh, but you have to learn to overcome that. And that's, that's really fun to me and challenging. Um, and and you like, I like those situations because it kind of proves who you are as an athlete. I think that's fascinating, Ryan. Like, I think for most of us, in fact, all of us, the most important muscle, right, is the one between our ears, and we don't all know that, but especially the way you lay that out, it's especially critical for you as a driver. I'm kind of curious, like, do you have a mental gym? How do you go about working that muscle when that's the most important muscle to you? How do you develop that? Yeah, one of the biggest things that I kind of just just try to do is, you know, not get, not get too caught up in anything. 
know, you have to, you know, you have your plans and everything, you know, throughout the race, but you have to just be open to adapt and adjust because everything you're not going to be able to predict, you know, things happen so quickly. Uh, you have to be open-minded uh, and, and kind of forget things quickly. You know, if something doesn't go right, you have to be able to move on from it really fast. So um, that's one of the biggest things I try to do is just keep an open mind and, and get over things fast and just focus back on the task at hand and, and not stew over anything. Um, that's one of the biggest things I try to do. And it's, it's, I've, I'll be honest with you, I've actually taken up golf because it helps me move on from a bad shot or, you know, a bad lap. It makes you forget, move on and focus at the new task at hand. I feel like I've kind of been able to compare those two. And that's honestly, it's, it's helped me out mentally a little bit. I think actually that's awesome. And that makes perfect sense to me. In fact, I was going to ask you about that. You started to play golf during the pandemic. You are largely self-taught. Now, I know that you and Bubba and Chase Elliott got a chance to play before Daytona. How did that go for you? How's your game? How's theirs? Yeah, I, um, yeah, like I said, I picked it up in the pandemic and, and was never really a golfer. And uh, it was something to do, and, and I, I got hooked. I mean, I, I'm hooked, and um, you know, I'm part of a club now uh, by my house and never would have thought I would be part of a country club for golf. And um, just I, I just really enjoy playing and, and been luckily to have – you know, a lot of friends who play and whether I race against them or not. And um, my game is pretty decent. It's getting better and better. Um, uh, it's a good day if I'm, if I'm like mid eighties, hmm. low eighties, that's a really good day for me. Sure. But I'm usually in the high eighties, low nineties range, uh, but trying to get better. Um, I will say, I think I am better than Bubba and Chase, uh, but we kind of vary day to day, but it's a, it's good that we're all, the same mediocre skill level and that makes it that makes it pretty fun yeah that and as long as you play quickly and you play fast nobody cares that's great really quickly i think most people know you come from a racing family you're the son of dave blaney the buckeye bullet last month it was announced the two of you are going to race against one another in the final race of the srx season how did that come to be and then how anxious not anxious how excited are you for that opportunity yeah that's a that's gonna be a really really great uh, you know, a chance for me to race against my dad. Um, never really, we've raced a couple times together before in like some exhibition races on dirt and, uh, but never really, you know, anything too serious. And, um, you know, you never know when you're getting, if you're going to ever get that chance again. So when that opportunity was brought up to us by SRX to race at my dad's home track up in Sharon, Ohio, um, attracted, you know, he grew up five miles from and part owns nowadays. And, um, I, I couldn't, uh, you know, I couldn't wait for the opportunity to be able to get permission to be able to do it. And, um, you know, you never know if those things are ever going to happen again, you know, be able to race with your dad and someone who taught me everything that I know um, from a young boy to, to now uh, about racing and things like that. So it's going to be really special. Uh, I can't wait. And uh, hopefully he doesn't beat me too bad. I got a feeling he might, he might beat me into the ground, but I, I, I got my hopes up, so hopefully I can compete with him. But the dirt side, is that's his deal. I mean, he's, he's a dirt racer at heart. That's where he came from, and uh, hopefully I'll just be able to keep up with him. Uh, I'm sure there's a ton of love, and I'm also sure he's looking to kick your ass, and I'm sure that you respect that, <laughs> and he would expect no less from you. So really quickly, you're going to run that's at right. Martinsville on Saturday night. You've had success there in the past. What is your approach when it comes to Martinsville? Yeah, it's been a good track for us uh, in the past, and uh, I grew up not too far from there. And, um you know, it's one of those tough, tough racetracks that uh, you really have to, you know, we talked about kind of being mentally tough. That's probably one of the biggest tracks you have to be mentally tough at because 
it's so small. It's only a half mile. You're going to get run into a handful of times during the race. It's just going to happen and you have to be able to overcome that and, uh, and look past it. So, uh, trying to find yourself, you know, qualifying good, being up front is the best place to not, you know, get your car damaged or ruined. Um, but yeah, just, gosh, it's, it's so, so hard to kind of know what you need there until you get there. But one of the biggest things you just got to keep your car clean and, and roll the curb. There's a big curb on the inside and I've always had success being right along that curb. And hopefully that uh, plays out with this new car. An enormous curve on the inside. That's at Martinsville. It is 7.30 p.m. Eastern on Fox Sports 1. That's coming up this weekend. He is the driver of the number 12 car for Team Penske. And again, seven career cup wins and having a big year. Ryan, great to get you back on. Great to get caught up. Thanks so much and good luck this weekend. Yeah, thanks, bud. Nice talking to you. Good night now!